God bless you and thank you so much for coming today. We know it's not always possible to go to a fellowship somewhere and to meet with the people there. Maybe you don't have any in the town or the city where you live and maybe you just want to check it out and see what it's all about online before you actually go to a place. That's okay. We're going to give you God's Word and we're going to give you the story of His love and His plan for your life. Whether you hear it online or you come out and you see one of the congregations and the fellowships that we have there in Israel or anywhere you happen to be, anywhere in the world. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you so much. And make sure to sign in today or just at least get into that chat window and talk to people. You can ask for prayer there in the chat window. And there's people there that will pray with you. People who have seen great miracles when they pray. And we're excited that they're here doing this. They're just as important to this message today as I am standing here. In fact, they're more important. They talk with the people out there about the problems that they're going through. They pray with the people about the things that they're facing today. I teach the Word, and that's an important thing. But these people that work with us are well-versed in the Word of God. You can trust them for counseling. You can trust them for solid, committed prayer. And that's what we all need, isn't it? So anyway, let's get started. You know, I mentioned to you last week that we're going to be going through the book of Genesis. And we talked about the nature of God, how He's different than what we imagined. In fact, we cannot even imagine it. We can't wrap our minds around how God exists. He's far above anything that we can imagine. So why is it that so many people think that God is just like them? Think, they think that He thinks like they do. They think that He will respond the way that they do. And that's why so many people aren't merciful, you see. And they don't love God because they think that God is not merciful like they are not merciful. But God has mercy far, far above our ability to show mercy. He has love far greater than the love that we can show other people. And He extended that love to us. He extended that mercy to us. And you say, well, I want to know more about God. I hear, him all the I hear about Him all the time. I hear people talking about Him. And I hear these atheists saying they don't believe in God. But that just seems crazy. I mean, when I look up in the skies, the night sky, and I'm away from the city, and I, I see the millions of stars and creation up there that are far, far bigger than the tiny little speck of dust we live on called Earth. When I see those things, I know there must be a God. So I'd like to find out about Him. Well, you've come to the right place. We're starting today in the first chapter of the first book at the first of the Bible, the book of Bereshit. That's how we say it in Hebrew. It's in the beginnings. Hasefer, the book, Bereshit. Hasefer Bereshit, the book of the beginnings are in the beginning. It tells about the things that are beginnings. It's going to tell us about the beginning of our knowledge of God. The beginning of His revealing Himself to mankind. It's going to tell us about the beginning of mankind. 
about the beginning of all the creatures on the earth, the beginning of all the plant life on the earth, the beginning of all the creatures in the sea, and the creatures that fly through the air, the birds and those. And it's going to tell us about all these things and how it came to be. And then it's going to quickly go from there to the beginning of sin, sadly. Something that man brought into creation. And then it's going to go into the beginning of the nations of the earth. The beginnings of the people, where they came from, where they migrated to, how they came from the sons of Adam and Eve and Noah at the time of the flood. Where they all came from and where they settled. We're going to find out the beginning of all of these things. The nations. And if you're Jewish like I am, you're going to find out the beginning of the Jewish people. In Avinu, Abraham. Abraham Avinu. Abraham, our father. You're going to find out how God called him. It's all there in the book of beginnings. The book of beginnings. Asefer Bereshit. The book of Genesis, as you would say in English. Now... This is going to surprise you. Some of you know already that usually when I teach, I try to teach one chapter at a time. But this one's going to be a little different. I'm not going to teach the whole chapter today. I'm not even going to teach one complete verse. I'm going to teach the first half of the first verse in the book of Genesis and chapter 1 in the book of Genesis. That's what we're going to be studying today. And you say, are you going to go this slow the whole time? No, I'm not. After today, we're going to speed it up greatly. And next week, we'll finish up chapter 1. We'll do the other like 25 or so verses. And then we'll start toward the end of chapter 1 for the third lesson the week after next. But right now, I want to focus on this first verse. I've already quoted it in Hebrew for you. Bereshit bara Elohim. Et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. Bereshit. In the beginning, bara Elohim. Created, it said God. God created, that's how we say it in English. We say God created, but in Hebrew it goes bara Elohim. That's how it says God created. Bereshit. Bara Elohim. And then it says, created the heavens, et and the earth. The et ha'aretz, ha'aretz. You've heard of Aretz Israel, the land of Israel. Bereshit bara Elohim, et the heavens, the et ha'aretz, the earth. But today, the first four words only. Four words. Bereshit Bara Elohim. Now, it's Be. In Hebrew, that's actually only three words because Be is put on to the beginning of a word. Rashit is beginnings. Be is in. But in Hebrew, it's one word, Be Rashit. Bara created Elohim. In the beginning, God created. Now, there's some things there that are revealed. There's mystery there already in the first three and four words in the Bible. The first three and four words in the Bible, there's great mystery there. 
First of all, it's going to be telling us what happened in the beginning, how all of this came into existence. But if you're Hebrew speakers, you'll notice that it says, Bereshit bara Elohim. And you instantly go, now wait a minute, that's not right, that's not how we speak Hebrew. No, it's not, is it? Because bara is third person masculine past tense. It's what we call the shorish or the root of the Hebrew word. Bara, in the beginning, bara Elohim. God created, bara is created, God is Elohim. So bara is third person singular. It's talking about a singular masculine person created this. It's past tense. It's saying in the beginning, this person, this man, this, this person, this masculine person created. Well, that would be fine if it said that in the beginning, this person created. But it says the word Elohim. Now, if you're a Hebrew speaker, you know that word. Elohim, and many Christians know that word as well. They know it's God. But they don't understand the im on the end. You and I know, Hebrew speakers know, that Elohim is actually a plural term. And that when you see a masculine noun ending in im, it means more than one. But here's the problem. Well, here's the beauty. It says bara, meaning one singular person created everything. But then when it says God, it doesn't say Elohai, Israel, it doesn't say the God of Israel, it says Elohim, which indicates more than one. But yet it's used with the verb, third person singular, past tense, the shorish, the root, which is only used with one person being the subject. So how can it be a verb, an action verb, talking about one person doing the creating, and then saying that the person who is doing the creating is a plural name, Elohim, because of the im on the end. How can that be? Well, that's what I'm saying. This book, the Bible, HaTanach, HaTorah, the Bible, starts with four English words, in the beginning God. In Hebrew, it's actually three. Bereshit bara Elohim. And already it's a mystery because we don't know how there can be a plural person using a singular person verb. If this was a normal man, it would say that this normal man, bara, who bara, that's how we say he in Hebrew, who. He is who. I know it sounds funny. But the word he from English is actually pronounced who in Hebrew. And you would say who baran, that would make sense. He created something. But you wouldn't say the word created in bara if you're using the plural term Elohim. You would think that you would say Elohim barim so that the verb ending would match the subject ending. 
Elohim Barim. That's the way you think that you would say it. If it's a plural for God, then you think you'd use a verb that was also in the plural. Elohim Barim. You hear? They're both ending the im. But he's saying, Bara Elohim. One's in the singular, and one is showing God as being somehow more than one, but yet using a singular verb. So right there, that makes the case that this is something strange. This is something different. There's something unique about God that already in the first three words in the Hebrew and the first four words in the English, already we don't get it. Already He's not like us anymore. He's so far above us that we cannot comprehend how He exists. Now I have to ask you a question. Why would that surprise you? Because God is far above us. We're going to be looking at the heavens and the earth next week. And some of you know I do astrophotography. I'll go out into a mountain home night and I'll set up my telescope and have all this sophisticated computerized equipment and I'll take pictures of the heavens. And I'll just tell you this. Some of the smallest things that are out there in the universe are billions and billions and billions of times larger than the earth we live on. We're going to be showing you some of those pictures next week as we talk about how God created the heavens and the earth. But right now, we're talking about how unique He is. People make mistakes when they think of God as being like themselves. They think that He'll be angry with them because they would be angry with someone else if someone else did the things to you that you do to God. But God is loving and compassionate beyond all imagination. Oh yes, sins need forgiven, but God is willing to forgive. Some people aren't willing to forgive. Now you look at this verse, Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But remember, we're only on the first four words in the English. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So right from the beginning of the book of Genesis, the fact that God exists is just assumed. There's no argument given for His existence. Seeking to prove or establish His existence it's a natural and logical assumption because the things that can be known about God are all around us. They're visible all over the world to every people as the earth spins on its axis and we see that night sky, we see the heavens declaring the glory of God. That's what Psalm 19 says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament or the skies shows His handiwork. And the more we know about science, the more we know how infinitely big it all is. Beyond all imagination, not just big, completely beyond yours or mine ability to even comprehend it all. We'll get into that next week. If you think you're facing big problems, wait till we introduce you to the big God who made all of the universe next week you'll see that He's more than capable of handling anything you're going through down on this earth. 
No arguments are given trying to prove the existence of God in this first chapter of the book of Genesis. It's a natural and logical assumption because all the things around you, from the smallest blade of grass and the smallest little ant, working like a person, like an army with the other ants and doing all of these things and storing up its food to the largest galaxies out there, trillions and trillions of times bigger than our entire solar system. All of these things that God does are visible to us if you'll only take the time and look. Now some of the people that say, well, I don't believe in God. Have you ever noticed they don't look up? They don't look at things and ask themselves the questions, well, how did that get here? That's so sophisticated. How was that little system in that little creature designed? How did that huge galaxy get there? How did all of this happen? And scientists will even tell you, we'll get into more of this next week. They'll tell you that 98%, 99% of all cosmologists not cosmetologists, those are people that fix ladies' hairs in the salon, you see. But these are cosmologists, they're people, astrophysicists, who study the universe. And they will tell you that they believe in a theory called the Big Bang Theory. And really, all the Big Bang Theory is, is it says that the universe had a beginning. It wasn't always here, it had a beginning. It came into existence at a certain point in time and no one knows why or how. They don't even know exactly when. But God tells us that in the beginning He created the heavens and the earth. Evidence of His existence is all around us. It's overwhelming to the person who will just take an honest look at the things around them. The design and the order of the universe, the cycles and the way that life flows from one phase to another, the human body. It's a universe in itself of marvels and technology that we still cannot understand. Oh, we can manipulate things in a test tube. We can change genes from this to that. But how did all of that come about? Only a fool would deny the evidence of God. And that's exactly what the Bible says, in fact, in a verse. It says, the fool hath said in his heart that there is no God. That person just doesn't look at the evidence. That person doesn't want to know the truth. They think that God is going to spoil their fun. In reality, the opposite is true. It's only through God that you find real, true purpose in life. And you find the meaning for your life. And you find true happiness and joy in Him. It's only through God. It's not through all of those sins that you go through and pleasures you try to heap on yourselves. Look at you. You heap those things on yourselves and are you happy? Have they made you happy? No, the next day you're looking for something else. Because the previous pleasure did not make you happy. God knows what made you, makes you happy. He created you. And inside of your heart, He created a place for Him to live. Spiritually, I'm saying. He created a place for Him in your life. And you'll seek and you'll try to buy this. You'll try to acquire that. You'll try to achieve this or do that or 
any number of things that you'll do all of your life and you'll go all the way to your deathbed and still not be fulfilled and happy unless God is in your life. The Bible doesn't try to defend God. We don't need to defend God. God doesn't need any defense. The Bible tells us who He is. The Bible tells us what He's like. If someone attacks God, God doesn't need any defense. Stop trying to defend God. The day I need to defend God, well, He's in trouble. He's so much bigger than me. What could I do to defend Him? I'll let God answer for Himself. It says that when a person is talking to you about these things and they're saying that God doesn't exist, don't even answer that person. It says in a verse in the Bible, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Don't waste your time. There's other things that you could be saying, things that are edifying, things that will help and encourage other people. Why waste your time arguing with someone who just wants to argue? It's better to plant that seed where it's going to grow. It's much easier to believe in God, in fact, than not to believe in God. You've heard the phrase before, I'm sure. It takes more faith not to believe in God than it does to believe in God. If you take God out of your mind, you try to replace Him with something else. You say, well, all this exists because at first there was all of this matter and and then there came some energy and, and then there were all of these accidents that somehow ended up doing something beautiful, making something that was beautifully designed. You, and you think that all of this is just an accident. All right. Look at what you're saying to yourself. First of all, you're saying it's like you found a beautiful Swiss-made watch with all the little intricate gears and parts inside. And you held it up and you said, you know what? I was eating my hamburger today and some of the sauce fell out of my hamburger onto the sidewalk. And I looked at it and while I was looking at it, it turned into this watch. <laughs> Come on. Things that are designed and intricate and beautiful in design don't happen by accident. It's no accident. God has a plan. That mass that you said, oh, it's just some matter that was there and somehow it turned into something, some energy hit it. But you're not thinking, are you? You're thinking, well, it's there and you got the energy, but where did that matter come from? Where did that matter come from? That energy, where did that energy come from? That had to be created too. Those things didn't just exist. Then you think it's all an accident? Well, you know, I was a solid state physicist. I've studied astronomy, I've studied astrophysics, cosmology, the study of the universe. We know something in physics and it says that basically the things that are left to their own design deteriorate. They don't increase in sophistication, they fall apart. Some of you have cars like that. Some of you have televisions like that. Or smartphones like that. That smartphone that you used to have is turned kind of stupid nowadays because it doesn't work as good as it used to. That's the way things are in nature. And physics will tell you 
that things get least sophisticated as they go along. That's why I say all the time, and we'll be going into the design of man, and we'll talk about evolution and, and God's design for man instead of man's theory of evolution. And basically, when we talk about that, we'll see that God had a purpose in all of this. His fingerprints are all over the designs of the universe and our lives as well. The cosmologists that I was talking to you about will tell you that they all believe in the Big Bang. And what that is, is they say that everything came from this tiny, tiny place and then suddenly it exploded into all the universe, which is unimaginably larger than the earth we live on. Oh, wait till we get next week. Wait till we go through the numbers. And I don't, I'm not going to turn you into an engineer. Don't worry. But you're going to just go, wow, God, that is amazing. Because the things that exist out there and we're just a tiny little speck, some, we're not even a speck. It's like we're not even one grain of sand in all of the sand of the world. We're even smaller than that compared to the universe. You'll see next week as we go through Don't miss it. If you have people, friends that are scientific minded, engineering minded like I was and am, then you'll want them to be here. You make sure you bring somebody here. It's going to be an amazing journey next week. But you see... Basically, even the scientists, 98, 99% of all cosmologists and astrophysicists believe in the Big Bang, that it all started from nothing and then somehow just blew up into everything. You know what that's saying, don't you? That's saying, first, there was nothing, and then it exploded. Now, it sounds funny, right? But God gave the command, and nothing did turn into everything. You're going to see the proof of that next week. You're going to see the proof of the greatness and glory and grandeur of Almighty God next week as we go through just a little hint of it and it's going to amaze you. It's going to astonish you. So you make sure to be here next week. This is not an accident. This all came from the hand of God. Something cannot come from nothing unless it's acted on by an outside force. Have you heard that somewhere? It's classical physics. We have two rules of physics, classical physics, and one says that an object in motion tends to stay in motion until acted upon by an outside force. It's going to stay in the same motion that it was in until some outside force acts on it. But the other one is what applies today as we're talking about creation and the Big Bang Theory. It says an object at rest tends to stay at rest until acted upon by an outside force. In other words, if you set a coffee cup on a table and you walk away from it and you look at it, you know that that coffee cup's not going to be walking off from you. At least, at least it shouldn't. I need that coffee in the morning. I'm sure you do too. But it tends to stay where it was until acted upon by an outside force. Someone picks it up. Someone brings it somewhere else. But now this creation goes even beyond that. Because when you're talking about an object at rest, tends to stay at rest till acted upon by an outside force. Now you're talking about there's nothing there and God speaks it into existence. And everything that is in the universe, which is 
infinitely large and complicated and beautifully designed. Everything that is in that universe came into existence because something that was nothing exploded. See if you can wrap your mind around that. Let me say that again. First there was nothing and then it exploded when God said, let these things all happen. And in the beginning it says God created the heavens and the earth. And not only that, but order came from all that chaos. Which is the opposite of what physics says. Physics says, no, there's entropy. Order always degrades into less order. But now, here's chaos, and God calls His order to come from that chaos. That's a law of physics being broken right there. Physics says that no, chaos can't go into order from chaos. And order cannot go into a higher order. It can only degrade and go closer and closer to chaos until it finally degrades completely. Those are the laws of physics. But the laws of physics don't apply to the Creator of all things. God is far beyond all your ability to understand. And in this first four words, these four Four words in English, these first three words in Hebrew, Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning God, in that alone, God is telling you this journey through the Bible. Through the book of Genesis and all the rest of the Word of God is going to be a journey of faith. You're not going to understand how it all happens, but He's going to prove to you beyond any doubt that it happened because He said, let it be. He created it. He spoke it into existence. This is the most amazing journey in all of the Bible. You don't miss a week. You get your friends around. This is going to be science mixed with faith. And they're both going to work beautifully together because God did it. And in a way that can be understood by man and can never be refuted by man. Man might not believe on God, but you wait to see what God proves to us from the pages of His book. Why do we study the Bible, by the way? Why do you study the Bible? You say, it's just a book. I don't need a book. I've got plenty of books. I'm Jewish. I read a lot of books every year. You need the Bible. Here's why. It's a message from God. And you go, oh, yeah, sure. It's a message from God. Yeah, it's a message from God. It is a message from God. And here's why. Nobody knows the future perfectly except for God. Would you agree with that? Yeah. No one knows the future except for God. So God puts all these prophecies in His Word throughout the Bible over all these thousands of years. And every one of them in their own time has come true exactly in detail exactly how He said they would. Nobody knows the future from God. So that right there proves that the Bible, the pages of the Word of God, are a message from God. Well, why is that important? Because He wants you to trust something that He said in the Word of God. And that is how to be saved and know that you're going to heaven at the end of this life on earth. When you know that it's His Word because you see fulfilled prophecy, when you see the glory of God by just looking up, 
under the night sky some night, then you'll know what His heart is and how He feels about you. He loves you. He made provision for you to be saved by sending His only begotten Son, the Mashiach, the Messiah, into the world to atone for our sins that we might be able to come back into the kingdom of heaven. Because of our sins, we can never go there. It's a perfect and holy place. It's the throne of the great king of the universe, God Almighty. And you can't stand in His presence with any sin at all. His judgment would destroy you. And He doesn't want you to be destroyed. He wants you to be saved and be with Him so He can love you as His children and show you the wonders of it all. You come next week. We're going to start an amazing journey. Now maybe you don't know what we're talking about. Maybe you've never given your own heart to God. You can be saved and have everlasting life by believing in His Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. All you have to do is pray something like this. Just say, Father, I do want to live forever in heaven. I want to know that I'm going there. And you say that if I believe on your Son as the Messiah and the Lord, then I will be saved and you will see me safely through into your kingdom. I want that kind of life, Lord. Give me everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven. I believe on your son, Jesus, Yeshua, as Lord and Messiah. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, he's already started working in your life. He took and planted a small, tiny seed in you. You're not going to see any results just right away in a day or two maybe. But over time, you're going to see that seed start to grow and changes in your heart are going to happen. That frown that you always had is going to be turned into a smile. Oh, you'll still go through trials, but this time you'll know that He's there with you. He'll see you through and He'll watch you through and that you are in His hands. And He never slumbers nor sleeps. He's there with you always. And He promises He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You stick with Him. You get in a good Bible-based church, start to pray every day, talking to God. Just say what's on your heart, just natural, like you would a friend. Read from His Word. Learn about Him more and more. He's going to do wonderful things in your life. I'll see you next week.